This morning, we're kicking off our new season with the first of three grace stories. And we do this intentionally in September after the summer is finally over, Labor Day weekend is done, we're back to school, the new fall routine is here. And I love the timing because we know from the sign-ins and from um, all the new faces, so many of you have started visiting GRC over the past few weeks. And uh, if, if history is a pattern, there, there are probably a, a handful of you here for the first time. And you're probably wondering, what is this church like? What is this community of faith all about? And the grace stories give you a unique but pretty effective single answer, at least, to those kinds of questions. Grace stories are accounts of real life by real people, and they will show you, my hope and prayer and anticipation is, that as a church, we're not interested in hiding our warts or our weaknesses. We're inclined to do that like anyone else, but we, we want to push back against that instinct to hide and to withdraw and to um, cover over our shame and guilt like Adam and Eve did in the Garden of Eden uh, back in the beginning of Genesis. Grace stories are one part of our effort to distance ourselves from the stereotype of the church as a place of great hypocrisy and religious appearances. We don't want to be about facades and externals. Celebrate Recovery is a key ministry of our church that also is another part of that effort to push back against that stereotype and uh, not just uh, image manage, uh, manage our image, but to really cultivate this gospel culture where we want to talk about weakness. We, we, we want not to hide reality, real life that always involves struggle. CR, by the way, meets every Wednesday here at 7 p.m., and anyone is welcome to come. But none of these grace stories is finished. They're all works in progress. And that, again, is a slice of real life. No, nothing is tied up neatly with a bow, um, packaged for delivery. As you listen to these grace stories, if you trust in Jesus for your salvation, if you are a follower of Christ, a Christian, and then God is already at work unfolding in your life, your personal grace story. It has shape. Start to think about what that might look like. If you don't yet trust in Christ, if you're exploring these things of the faith, then know that the same grace is offered to you and can be accessed by you through faith. Grace to begin a path of fresh healing and restoration in your life. This morning, Chin Tuminelli is ready to share her grace story. And it's a story of salvation. It's a story of light shining in darkness. It's a story, to be frank, of a broken heart when darkness wins a battle. But it's ultimately, in the end, a story of God's resurrection promises which alone bring hope. Chin, thanks. Although I grew up in an atheist culture, God, for his mercy and love, has put a sense of a spiritual self and a superpower that originated life in me since my young age. When Scott, my now husband, 
finally succeeded in forcing me to read Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis after trying for a year, I was quickly convinced that's the truth. For the next 10 years, however, my spiritual life didn't grow. I was busy stepping through life's many stages, pursuing happiness through marriage, kids, comfortable lifestyle, and spinning myself around them, seeking worldly blessings, but never God himself, even though it was so clear to me that God has been continuously blessing and providing for us. But God brought me down to my knees. Near the end of 2013, my mom started to develop symptoms of depression while living with us. In the back of my mind, I always believe this is God's only way to lead her to him because of our personality and temperaments. It was right before that Christmas when I first brought mom to church. Mom had always been a very strong-willed and extremely suspicious person. Compromise or amusing someone never seemed to be a concept to her. I expected her to be quiet and indifferent and church at the best because that's how I was when I, when I went with Scott for the first time a decade before. As this hymn started, through the corner of my eyes, I saw mom singing along, earnestly following each word and clapping. I began to sob uncontrollably without a good understanding of what was happening to me. Now, as I think back, I had no doubt in my heart that the Holy Spirit was at work among us then. I started to bring mom to church every Sunday made her go to different fellowship groups during the week. But it didn't occur to me to really pray for her. And mom did not get any better. Finally, under her insistence, I agreed to let her go back to China. Back at home, without any spiritual support, plus the inexperienced medical care for this type of sickness, mom deteriorated significantly in the first few months. I was deeply worried and desperate. I was on my knees a lot more. It was then God drew me to himself. For the first time in my life, I felt so close to him. Every morning and night, I looked forward to spending time alone with him. Around the same time, God raised a group of people to study the book, Song of Songs. The book showed me the immeasurable and imaginably passionate love God has for me. I also started to read the works by Madame Goyen. Despite the controversial views of her teaching, her intense yearning for God and union with him through complete self-abandonment deeply attracts me, and it became all that my heart wanted. I know now that God himself was wooing me through various means. I accepted that union with God comes with sufferings because in our sinful na nature, we cannot mingle with him. That's why Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. But sufferings remained only a concept to me. While mom was sick, 
God sent one of his most faithful servants, Sister Dong, to visit her, pray for and with her. Early this May, I felt the devil was attacking my mom particularly hard and asked Sister Dong for prayers. That by the Holy Spirit, Sister Dong went to visit mom the next day. On this side of the globe, I was doubting the visit would do anything since Sister Dong had visited my parents many times and their hearts seemed to me like stone walls. Right then, there's a voice in my head. With men, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Matthew 19:26. Immediately, my heart was filled with peace. Shortly after, I got a message from Sister Dong Mom, who had to be constantly pacing with intense anxiety and could never sit for even a minute or concentrate on anything, sat calmly with Sister Dong for over half an hour, listened to the gospel, repented and prayed with her, accepted and thanked Jesus for his salvation. I was overjoyed. I was convinced that the Holy Spirit had entered Mom and God will deliver her from evil and sickness. One early morning a week later, I got the message from my family that mom took her own life. I was completely shattered, buried under thousands of different things. That day, God sent many of his servants my way to pray for me and strengthen me before I even knew that I needed them. Samuel, a 75-year-old God servant, laid his hand on my head and prayed for me. The prayers magically lifted me up from being completely beaten down to a victorious and firm stand. They also sustained me through the many dark days ahead. Despite the sorrow and despair in those days, there has always been a strange sense of peace beneath all other feelings deep in my heart, like a solid ground holding me up from sinking too far. But Tara had also been with me. Every night, I lied awake in the dark, feeling the force of the devil attacking me. The fear followed me as I returned to China the next day. Everything that reminded me of mom tightened my heart. I knew it wasn't mom that I feared, but the devil that tortured and killed her. In the sleepless nights when hundreds of scaring thoughts running through my mind, I realized how real the spiritual warfare and how fierce the devil is. I truly understood what it means that our minds are the spiritual battlefield. I called out for God and Jesus. I kept telling myself that Jesus through his resurrection has conquered death and all its power. I tried to cast out the devil in Jesus' name. One time, the Chinese funeral dirge started to ring my head. And immediately, the hymn, In the Cross Be My Glory Forever, also came to me. But fear didn't leave. My cause and my own fight fell so feeble. Despite the struggles every night, God delivered me into the days where I could stand and feel his presence with me. At night, I questioned whether my mom was safely with Jesus or being punished in hell. I contemplated the dark journeys mama might have had 
while she was sick. The darkness weighed so heavily on me, I felt I couldn't escape and it would soon be swallowed up. I started to think I might end up like mom, as this was how it began with her. I desperately called out to God, for I needed him so badly, and God answered me. At a dawn, after about a week of struggling, he gave me Psalm 73 and 121. Reading those verses out loud, tears pour out like flood, with the Holy Spirit filling me, and the fears vanished instantly, ever since. At the same time, God put peace in my heart, assuring me Mom is in a good place with him. Matthew 10:28 says, Do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. For more than a year, brothers and sisters in both the U.S. and China have been earnestly praying for Mom's salvation and healing. Our God is a merciful and gracious God that answers prayers. Far too often, I try to do God's work under my own effort, according to my own will. But God says, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Isaiah 55, 9. Through sufferings, I encountered God personally and experienced his faithful delivery. I witnessed his salvation of mom in a way I would never have anticipated. While there will still be long, dark valleys ahead, fears and falls along the way, I know I can always hang on to the glorious hope founded on God's fulfilled promise. As I learn to die to myself, I may one day finally become Jesus' bride and the partaker of God's rescue plan for all his brides and be united with him. you join me as I pray with Chin. Lord, you've given Chin grace again. You've poured it into her. You have caused it to overflow from her gospel grace, life-giving grace. And we pray for that much more, to overflow from Chin to the rest of her family. Lord, she planted seeds when she spoke at her mom's funeral, we pray for those seeds to find good soil as your spirit works in the hearts of the friends and family who were there. Cause it to grow and produce another crop, a hundredfold crop, that China might be reached more and more with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray beyond Chin's family. We pray for that amazing land and that people, such a numerous people, and so influential in the new century. Lord, shine the light of Jesus all the way on the other side of the globe among the people of China and enable Chin to see just a glimpse of your purposes, even in her suffering and the suffering that her family has undergone. 
and that you might redeem it and bring resurrection life. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Shane and I share that um, Italian-Chinese thing going on, you know, um, Chin Tuminelli. It's a classic GRC name. Um, you know, I, I had this thought as she was sharing. I, I had read through her grace story several times um, that if, uh, if, if the reverse were true, I would be um, Kang Nian Murata. That's if, if I took Cedar's uh, Italian name, but... Um, she became Cedar Wang instead. Um, thank you, Chin. You can see, uh, especially as we have two more weeks uh, uh, to look forward to in these grace stories, you can see how it takes courage to come up here and share uh, a raw, heartfelt, personal snapshot of life. Uh, and you can see that life is seldom wrapped up in a nice, neat little bow, and they lived happily ever after. That's not life. That's not who we want to be as a church, and we're going to wrestle with these things, and um, I trust that you will join me in thanking God and praising Him for providing grace sufficient for His daughter this morning to share and uh, benefit us. Last year, uh, Chin and Scott came forward during a healing service to ask for prayer for her mom, who was uh, in uh, the midst of depression, um, uh, suffering from some physical issues, um, she asked for prayer for her aunt as well and for herself. And that um, introduced me to what the family was going through and the theme that Chin was cultivating, recruiting as much prayer here in the U.S. and on the other side of the globe in China among Christians to intercede for her mom's salvation and further healing. And as I read her grace story ahead of time, I landed on 2 Corinthians chapter 10, just a few verses that I want to read. For, we do, uh, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. This is God's Word. Maybe this is a sliver of my own grace story, but I have to be honest, as I listen to Chin's story and as I reflect on the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 10, all too often I admit I default to wielding the weapons of the world to chase after the purposes of the world. And sometimes, even in pastoral ministry, what are the weapons of the world? They're not violent. They're, they're the tools that we instinctively go to, and, and these are among mine. Human reason, technique, hard work, stick-to-itiveness, education, competence, knowledge. And when I do that, I, I'm living as if I'm ignorant of this biblical truth that Paul tells us that we live in the world, but the most significant and lasting things are not of the world. They're of God, of glory, of eternity, of spiritual in addition to physical, earthly material. When I forget that, when I merely give it lip service, I'm rejecting, I'm minimizing, I'm ignoring, I'm setting aside 
the otherworldly weapons that God has given us access to, primarily, as Chin has described, prayer and word, God's Word, Scripture. Chin uh, started by remarking that she grew up in an atheistic culture. Atheists are humanists. I'm not saying every Chinese person is a humanist, but as a culture, all atheists are humanists. Um, the, the, the philosophy says there's nothing up there. We're it. Humanity uh, is all that there is. And progress and prosperity and health and, and uh, the curing of disease and, and advancement and, and evolution as a society, it's all on us. There is no God. Human reason rules. We produce meaning in life through our choices and our efforts. But Chin's story points to the supernatural. She's able to look back and confidently see how God had been at work in her even since childhood. Human reason would say belief in an unseen God who promises an unseen afterlife makes no sense at all. C.S. Lewis's mere Christianity shouldn't have made any sense at all, let alone struck her as true, but it did. The supernatural shows us often after the fact, as she quoted from Matthew chapter 19, with man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. I know this is a faith statement, but some things are more rational when God is behind them, when God is the explanation. Some things simply make more sense. God used suffering and crisis along with these otherworldly weapons of, of prayer and Scripture to bring about His perfect purposes in her life. Chin described her mom's depression worsening and her own increasing worry and desperation because she couldn't do anything for her mom. But word and prayer together with a gathering of God's people in worship, the church, led to the answer to prayer, a Christian woman in China who led her mom to saving faith in Jesus Christ. There's no human explanation for that. Following her mom's death, more prayer by many Christians wielding these otherworldly weapons against spiritual darkness, freed Chin from her fears lifted the burden from her shoulders, replaced her fears with a peace that passes all understanding. These otherworldly weapons have a relevance to Chin, I, I sensed. I, I didn't circle back and have a conversation with her this week exploring these things, but uh, I, I don't think most of us can even begin to comprehend uh, the, the far-reaching effects of growing up in an atheistic culture, the impact on um, our thinking and our behavior and, and the priorities and values of society and these otherworldly weapons prove themselves to not only be helpful but essential and necessary without which nothing against spiritual darkness in a land that pushed God away for decades and decades and to some extent still does today. Chin says God led her to Psalm 73 and Psalm 121 in the valley of the shadow of death. And uh, Psalm 73 is interesting. It's, it's one of my favorite psalms because Asaph, the author, is wrestling with God. He, he can't understand why God lets the wicked prosper and allows the righteous to suffer. 
He says, have I kept my heart pure in vain? Am I believing in you, following after you for nothing? Am I better off? I couldn't understand these things, he says, verse 16. And then verse 17 changes everything. Till I entered the sanctuary of God. Till I was reminded in worship with these truths that demolish every argument and pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. Till I, I saw that freshly, I was reminded of truth that God is revealed, word. And Asaph remembered God's promises and clung to them by faith. God's word through Psalm 121 reminded Chin of those very same promises. Here's a sample from Psalm 121. I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going both now and forevermore. You know, even as the cloud lifted, even as hope was restored to Chin, her circumstances hadn't changed. The, the, the cause for her suffering hadn't miraculously been removed, but she was able to continue to cling to what was most true despite what her senses screamed at her and what the people around her were asserting in opposing the gospel of grace. Chin has other chapters to her grace story that she didn't have time to unfold this morning, like her commitment in the face of that spiritual darkness and opposition, even from family members, to share the gospel with her grandmother and her aunt. It struck me late last night as I read through some of those notes she sent me again, this picture, because we had a, a similar situation with an elderly family member with us, this picture of her mom um, over 100 years old, grandma, um, affected by dementia, largely staring off into space, breaking out of that fog and telling Chin, Jesus loves you, and telling Chin, I'm no longer going to believe in Buddha, I'm going to believe in Jesus. And then immediately going back to the fog of age and dementia and cognitive impairment. Is, is, was that a work of the Holy Spirit or what? Is, is that grace penetrating spiritual darkness and opposition or what? Is that an answer to prayer and these otherworldly weapons that God has given us access to or what? There's no other rational explanation for these things other than to say God is at work applying gospel grace in and through His people. Other chapters of Chin's grace story that she didn't unfold, like her commitment and resolve in the face of adamant, angry opposition by her family members, her resolve to proclaim the risen Savior Jesus at this depressing traditional Chinese funeral. Chin's the elder sister. It was her job to give the eulogy, and she was going to give literally a good word, eulogos, and she did by God's grace. And she uh, continues to be committed to praying for unsaved family members who are over there like her aunt. She's committed to wielding these otherworldly weapons and has a fresher um, 
faith to trust that the devil's schemes cannot stand up in the face of prayer, which Paul describes in Ephesians 6 as the sword of the Spirit. She's swinging it, this sister of ours, and it's doing damage. I wonder how much influence comes from American wealth and prosperity and arrogance and Western individualism. I wonder how much impact that all has on us, causing us to default to worldly weapons that have everything to do with self, my competence, my hard work, my achievement, my more hard work in stick-to-itiveness, my education, my everything. I wonder how much we've drunk the Kool-Aid of American prosperity and made it all about me. How much they cause us to lose sight of what's most essential to life. Here's rationality out the window. When we fail to focus on preserving life, that which is most essential to us, not just for a few more decades, but for eternity. When um, we fail to uh, embrace and chase after life, not just hanging on in misery a few more years, but grabbing hold of the fullness of God's promises that He desires us to have now and for eternity. I wonder what we can learn from God using an atheistic culture to lead one servant of His to fall back on desperate prayer and the promises of His Word, which happen to be all that we need. All the things that we have to draw on in this advanced society, irrational, because they cannot accomplish for us what we most desire, life, and life forever, and life to the full. These otherworldly weapons of prayer and word demolish every argument and pretension that are opposed to truth. They, they demolish, they expose the, the illusion of American prosperity that is a siren call wooing us with false promises only to dash us against the rocks. This truth of God's word demolishes any illusion that the world has what we most desire. God's word would say that's not true. That enslaves, I provide freedom. God would say. That leads to death. I desire life for you and life to the full and life forever. Word and prayer give us hope that in the face of the greatest suffering, resurrection makes all things new. I want to add this as more of an aside. I can't explain how a woman who has turned from, away from sin and turned towards Christ in faith would take her own life can't explain it. Chin can't either. I can share my confident belief that suicide is not the impartable sin. It's not. What we don't know is the extent and nature of spiritual darkness on Chin's mom, the attack she was under. What we don't know and understand is the darkness that affects that great land of China that has denied and suppressed God and his people for decades. We don't know the nature and shape of what that means. But what we do know from Chin's testimony, from other Christians' testimony, is that her mom demonstrated change and professed faith 
that was absolutely countercultural, that reason cannot explain. We do know that prayers were answered and that God enabled suffering even to the point of death to become an opportunity for the gospel to shine light into darkness. Life from death is exactly the pattern of our salvation. And that's what we cling to by faith. As we close, I'd like us each to take a few moments to pray. And, and you might say, you know what, I, I'm not ready for that. I'm not, I don't know how to do that. That's okay. Then reflect on these things that I'd like to share with you. If, first, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, then the most significant thing about you is this reality, that you have been bought at a price by the creator of this universe, and that price was the life of his own son, Jesus Christ. And that most significant of realities, if you're a believer in Jesus, means that you have eternal life, that you stand to inherit all that God created you to be and to have in his very presence forever without any restraint. That means freedom from the justice that your sin deserves. That means perfect, intimate relationship with God in eternity. How can that we then desire anything less for others? How could we be content with merely filling an empty belly, righting a circumstantial wrong, reversing a temporary injustice in this world? Those are all wonderful things, and the church of Jesus Christ should be activists in addressing those things. But if we're content with making the next few decades of life better for people and we ignore their eternity, we don't love them. We need to be praying for souls to be saved. We need to be praying for spiritual darkness to be pushed back by the light of Jesus. We need to have a, a passion and a burden for friends and family and strangers here and around the world who don't know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. So pray thanking God that He has rescued you by His grace, not of your own doing, from the judgment that your sin deserves. And then pray outwardly that God would use you to lead others to faith in Christ. Pray that His Spirit would go ahead of you, preparing the soil of people's hearts for you to sow the seed. And pray that revival would break out around the world. And there are hints of it in Asia and Latin America and Africa, not surprisingly, absent in the more prosperous West. If you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, we want you to know that the things of eternity, questions of sin and salvation are the foundation of GRC. That's what we are about. We don't do it perfectly. Our own grace story collectively is in process, and we are not a church that is neatly wrapped up in a pretty little bow. But we want to walk with you by faith in the reality of your messy life with our messy lives. And we want to affirm these things because uh, we know that real love involves sharing with you what we firmly believe and know is the only way to life. Faith in Jesus Christ. Trust that his life, death, and resurrection are the only means that we have to trust him that all things will be made new. Would you join me in uh, these uh, moments of silence as you pray 
or as you reflect on these things. And I'll close us in a minute. Lord, thank you for these otherworldly weapons of prayer and scripture. Thank you, Lord, for freshly burdening my own heart for family members who are not in Christ. Forgive me, Lord, for I am too often ashamed of the gospel, even though it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. I am ashamed. I don't open my mouth when I should. I fail to pray. Lord, change us individually and as a church. Make us a church that aches and wails and is driven to our knees and is passionate to open our mouths to do something because souls are dying apart from Christ. And it's our job because you've commissioned us to make disciples. And disciples make disciples by sharing their faith, by overflowing with grace. Use us, Lord, just as you used Chin in her mom's life, in her family's life. Uh, cause us to overflow with gospel grace that you might be glorified, that we might be conformed into the image of the Savior. We pray in his precious name. Amen.